Definitely watching a lot less college basketball than I'd like to. I feel like I've never been, other than Ohio State, I've found a way to watch all the Ohio State games. I've never been this, like, tuned out of college basketball, which uh, which kind of sucks. It's, it's definitely feeling sad. I don't know. Am I, I going to get back into it now that, you know, the Super Bowl is over? Probably. But still, even with, like, March Madness around the corner, I've never been this not excited to watch college basketball. Yeah, it really feels like like college basketball – occurs at the worst time um, because they're battling college football in the NFL for half of their season, and then even now they're battling the NBA still. Um, and so it feels like it doesn't really matter to anyone until, you know, March Madness, really. It's a it's kind of a two-week stretch, and then it's over. Yeah, exactly. And this is sort of like the the dead time, right, for, for sports. Like, after the Super Bowl, I would, I would argue that now until March Madness, other not including the summer, uh, is probably the most boring time for sports. But, you know, we do have National Signing Day to talk about. Not a whole lot of action because there there was that whole flurry of early commitments back when there was the signing day in December. But Ohio State, we were expecting them to get an offensive lineman in Doug Nestor. They didn't get Doug Nestor but they were able to get another guy. And, Nate, you did some research on this guy yesterday, Enoch Ramahi. I don't even know if that's his name. Yeah. Uh, an offensive guard from Hawaii. What do you know about him, Nate? Yeah, he's kind of a, a late addition to the class. He didn't have an official visit until, uh, I believe, just over a week ago. Uh, flew over to Columbus and met with Ryan Day and, and Coach Studd and the staff. And and really at that point seems like a hard lean towards USC, um, but I, I think as as time wore on, based on things he was tweeting, um, it, it seems like Ohio State may bag him, and and they in fact did, uh, which was which was huge. I can't under, understate this enough how big adding him was because you know when we lost Doug Nestor, I mean this this class is void. Of, of offensive linemen, and that's already a place where we don't have a lot of depth. So depth, so it was it was a huge gift. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it, losing, I guess we found out the news that they were losing Nestor before we knew they were getting this guy. I'm just gonna call him the Hawaiian because I really I can't pronounce his name for crap. But so that was that we had like a six hour window where I would say we were kind of like panicking. Uh, just because Nestor, even though he's not a super highly rated recruit, being only like 95 which sounds like a lot, but when you compare to the rest of the class, he would have been pretty middle of the road in terms of Ohio State's recruits. Uh, you know, there was a little bit of panic because, you know, even though he's a 95, that's a position, as you said, Nate, that it was a huge need for us. Our offensive line is super thin, but Ryan Day was able to pull a rabbit out of his hat and get a late commit, which is good, and it rounds out a class with 17 commits, and I would argue, Nate, that there's a lot more quality than quantity in this class. Yeah, I think, I definitely think, Quality is the name of the game, and 
And I know we've touched on this, Mike, but it, it cannot be said enough. The Buckeyes just didn't have a lot of scholarships available. Uh, only about 15 or 16. A few more have opened up just because of, of, of transfers like Keandre Jones, Pate Martell, et cetera. But there just weren't a lot of spots available. And I think the Buckeyes did a very good job of using those spots with high-end guys. They got Zach Harrison, um, uh, you know, the, the 12th best player in all of America, Garrett Wilson, the, the best receiver, first or second best receiver, depending on who you ask. Um, and then Harry Miller, who's an outstanding guard-center combo um, to come in. They're all five-star guys. And so it, it's definitely a quality over quantity. But if you're getting talented guys who are going to buy into the program, does it matter that much? You know, the what people forget, I think, Mike, is that they don't have roster spots, and those roster spots are filled by the class of 2017 and 18, which were two of the best classes in, in recruiting history. So we're okay. Right, and that also is not taking into account the fact that Justin Fields is essentially like getting the number one recruit. You know, when you look at Justin Fields, uh, I texted this to you the other day, Nate, like 24-7 rankings from two years ago. He had, what, like, the fifth best ranking in the history of, like, 24-7 sports for football recruiting. So you're adding him. He also has a year of experience. He also has a year of playing against a top-five defense in Georgia's defense in practice. So, you know, that's an 18th commit, as far as I'm concerned, that really would take our, our class over the top. And further, you know, the whole quality over quantity thing, we still have the best average rating per recruit in the Big Ten at 91.8, and uh, Penn State is second with 91.0. But, Nate, this is kind of interesting. I just did some quick research. This is the first time since 2010 that Ohio State does not have the best recruiting class in the Big Ten. Yeah, which, which is certainly is certainly a storyline. Michigan and Penn State both put together uh, pretty decent classes. But, again, uh, it's kind of like you mentioned. So you have to take the average rating into account um, before you look at the overall, you know, score because that overall score is taking into account having 25, 27 guys in your class. Right. And we only have 15 to 17. Honestly, it's kind of impressive that Ohio State's as high as they are with such a small class. Yeah, 100%. When you see these teams, like, change coaches, right, and obviously we're going through the transition of going from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day, I would argue that typically, you know, there's a little bit more of a drop-off that you see. There's a, there's a little bit more of a bumpy transition. But Ohio State did a really good job. We talked in the last podcast about Zach, being able to snag Zach Harrison. You know, people weren't sure whether or not we could get him or not. And there's not much of a recruiting drop-off. There doesn't seem to be too many players transferring out of the program due to the coaching change other than Tate Martell, but you could argue that that is for, you know, other circumstances. So I would say that everything right now, like, Ryan Day has righted the ship pretty quickly. And when you're coming off of a legend like Urban Meyer, that is just a – I'm trying to think of the right word, the opposite of indictment. That just goes to show how good Ryan Day has been so far. And I would argue it's still two thumbs up even though, you know, we lost Doug Nestor. And I, I don't know, I think things are still looking pretty good. I'm still feeling very positive overall. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Mike, just, just think with me for a second. Since, since he became the, the um, head coach at Ohio State, he has 
gotten a commitment from Zach Harrison, the number the the number twelve overall prospect in all of America. Um, he got the best quarterback and the best prospect from last year's class to transfer to Ohio State. He was able to lock down Enoch Zahimi late on one visit. And, hey, something people aren't talking about enough, he got Jack Sawyer, who's currently a sophomore, mm-hmm. a recruit of 2021, the third best player in the country, according to 247's composite, a consensus five-star, to commit. And he is committed as a sophomore, and it seems like a, a firm commit. And Jack Sawyer is going to be able to go out and recruit guys for, you know, for Ryan Day. And that's what he pressed on in his opening press conference. I, I want to win Ohio. And that's a big start. I, I I think he's proven already, hey, I can go recruit guys. That's so true. Jack Sawyer from Pickerington, Ohio. That's right outside Columbus, right, Nate? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a ton of football talent right around Columbus. That's exactly where Zach Harrison's from, too. Uh, Zach Harrison's not, he's not from Pickerington, but Zach Harrison's from Olin Tangy, Orange, yeah. from Lewis Center, Ohio. So it's close by. But the point is that if Jack Sawyer commits, maybe that'll be a snowball effect, and other guys in Ohio will want to join and get on the uh, Ryan Day bandwagon. But, yeah, I think Sawyer, obviously, we're two years away from even getting him in an Ohio State uniform. Who knows what could happen, but it's certainly a good start, and and that's a super positive thing. And, look, not only did he lock down Zach Harrison and get in Justin Fields, but with the exception of one or two guys that went to SEC schools, he also was able to hold on to the commits that committed to Urban Meyer. You know, it's really hard to walk into these kids' living room and be like, look, I I know you committed to a guy that has has as many national championships as I have total wins as head coach of a program. But, you know, you should come to Ohio State, you know? So, mm, I, I don't know. It's, great it's, point. It's really, really fantastic. And um, we'll we'll see what happens. Obviously, uh, we're so far away from the season starting. But uh, it, it's it's just overall super exciting. And, and Nate, you, you had the idea earlier. You were texting me. I think we should jump right into it. Basically saying that let's look at the guys that we locked down. Not just the National Signing Day, but just overall our 17 guys who have signed letters of intent and say – who we are most excited about, who's the biggest risk, and potentially the guy that we know could potentially be playing on Sundays uh, down the road. So, Nate, I'm going to kick it over to you first. Who are you most excited about in this class? Yeah, yeah. So the guy I'm most excited about, uh, he's he's from the same high school as Matthew Baldwin, Garrett Wilson, uh, five-star wide receiver, 20th best prospect in the nation, a consensus five-star across you know, all platforms. This kid, 5'11", 175, but he plays a lot bigger than that. Think think Mike Thomas type, go up and get the football and win. Um, he, he dominated the, the Army All-American game. Uh, I, I'm just super excited to see what, you know, especially with what we saw from last year's wide receivers, what he is going to do as a freshman in this Ryan Day offense. That's a good one, and you're right. I think he can totally step in right away and play. Uh, I think walking into training camp, he's going to be like the fifth wide receiver with the chance to really, you know, fire up. I'm going to go with, uh, you know, this one's tough for me. I'm tempted to say Zach Harrison, but I feel like not that he's a special, you know, prospect, uh, being the 12th best prospect overall, 
but we've just seen so many five-star DNs come through Ohio State that we're starting to get spoiled. You have Chase Young. You have the Bosa brothers. So I'm going to go with Harry Miller because getting a five-star center is something that we haven't we haven't had the uh, the fortune lately. And I don't know if Harry Miller is going to play right away. It's a lot harder to step in and play right away as a center, especially, uh, let alone an offensive lineman, as opposed to the skill position players. But this is a guy, maybe you could follow in the footsteps of Pat Elfline, of, you know, Andrew, you know, all the all the great offensive linemen. That Billy Price. Billy Price, yeah, Mike Mike Jordan. So I, I'm going to like to see Harry Miller. I don't know if he's going to play right away, but I'm definitely excited to see that talent on the offensive line. Yeah, yeah. Mike, I'm going to I'm gonna hop right into what feels like the biggest risk or, or maybe the guy that I'm, I'm most concerned about. Um, and I'm I'm going to go to the running back position, um, and I'm going to say Marcus Crowley. He's a he's a four-star recruit out of Trinity Christian there in Jacksonville, same school as Tyreek Johnson, and, and also uh, Sean Wade. And it's it's not that I don't think he's a, a talented young man. It's just J.K. Dobbins and. Demario McCall leave after this season, you know, potentially J.K. Dobbins could be out of here. And that leaves the running back room. Now with Brian Sneed gone, relatively bare, you're going to have, you're going to have, uh, I'm blanking on his Master name, Master, Master Teague yeah. and Marcus Crowley, and, and maybe you consider putting Jalen Gill back in the backfield some, but it's relatively bare. Um, and so I would have liked to have seen us get, you know, maybe a bigger name running back. And, and maybe Marcus Crowley is going to pull a Zeke and, and, and be better than all of us thought. But that, I'm going to go with Marcus Crowley here. He, he certainly has the size at 6'1", 200 pounds. I mean, that's virtually the same size that Zeke came in, if not like a little bit heavier. So who knows, once he gets in the weight room, uh, maybe he can find some explosiveness. I'm going to go all the way to the bottom of the list, and DeWan Jones, offensive tackle, strictly for the reasons that this guy is still his potential. He is six foot eight, 360 pounds, so he has the body of Andre the Giant, but to have that body and to only be a three-star recruit, I think that that leaves me a little suspicious. He's also from Indiana, which is not like a huge football state. He doesn't have a huge football pedigree. Uh, and and I don't I question whether or not our coaches are going to be able to take you know this this raw product and be able to mold him into a really great offensive tackle. And we've seen this in the past with other guys. You know, I'm, well, JD Shugarts is a guy who <laughs> way back when had had a lot of potential, and he ended up just false starting his way through four mediocre years. If you're an offensive tackle and you're not that polished you can get exposed quickly. And I don't know if this guy will ever see the field. Again, he's got the body, and I could tell why they why they took a shot on him. But I would have rather, especially considering how thin we are at all that offensive line, I would rather Ryan Day have gone with a short thing and get like a, like a four-star recruit that may not have a higher ceiling but has a much higher floor. You know, like DeWan Jones, he's got a huge ceiling, but he's got a huge, you know, he could be, he could never see the field. I, w- I would not be surprised. So, uh, I'm gonna. I guess it's kind of a low hanging fruit for me to pick the guy at the bottom of the class, but you know, I, I, I that, that's that's the one I think is the biggest risk. I love it, Mike. That's 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 really really good. Who would you say, in your mind, is the most you know home run NFL type guy from this class? 
Uh, I got I mean, you got to say Zach Harrison. I, I don't, again, I don't, I'm going for the low hanging fruit here, but he look, he's six five, two fifty, and he's played in. I'm, I'm looking at the all time Ohio State recruits in the history of 27 sports, and Zach Harrison is in the top 20. See, when you talk, when you think, when you talk about all of the big name recruits that have come through, Terrell Pryor, Ted Yen, Nick Bosa, Beanie Wells. I mean, all these guys like Zach Harrison is in that upper echelon. And all of those guys pretty much made it to the NFL at some point. You know, Noah Spence, you could argue how effective he's really been. Ted Ginn maybe has not had as good of a career as people expected. But they're playing on Sundays. And Zach Harrison, with that body, I think he's going to get in. And, and we have seen defensive ends, whether it be the Bosa brothers or whether it be Chase Young, they have very low bust potential, right? Like, when's the last time we saw a five-star defensive end or defensive tackle come into Ohio State and not make an immediate impact? I can't really think of one. So just purely because of the position, you know, it's like get out there, rush the passer, stop the run. It's pretty simple. It's not super cerebral position. I think Zach Harrison's going to do really well. I think he's going to play right away, and I think he's going to be declaring for the draft three years from now. I like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with who you you let off with. I'm gonna say uh, Harry Miller. This guy is coming in. I, I think he is he's ready to play right now. The the 24/7 lists him at six foot four, 305 pounds. He is ready to get in there and play center. I would actually keep an eye on that. He is an early enrollee uh, at Ohio State. I, I wouldn't be shocked if. You know, he, he wins a starting job on that offensive line this year. Um, so I think he's going to follow in the footsteps of, like you mentioned, Billy Price and Pat Elfline. And I expect him to be a first-round draft pick when it's all said and done. Yeah, I, that, that's a good one, too. I didn't want to pick him again. Uh, Garrett Wilson might be tough. I know you are talking about him before, just saying he is like a Mike Thomas type. But Mike Thomas does have the luxury of being like 6'2", 6'3". Garrett Wilson's a little undersized. I could see Garrett Wilson turn into a really good college receiver that maybe gets drafted in the fourth or fifth round. It's really hard to project that far uh, down the road. But other than that, I mean, this class is pretty uh, – is, is there any other four or three stars that really jump out to you as, like, diamonds in the rough? I think Jamison Williams could be. Um, from what I understand, he has just absolute barn burner speed. We're talking – uh, Devin Smith-esque. And so there's always room for the deep ball in in the NFL and certainly in college football and in this system. So he would be a guy that I would watch out for. But even still, he, I mean, he's our fourth overall recruit. So I don't know if that's, that's much of a reach. Also, fun little fact, Ronnie Hickman, who's a safety from DePaul Catholic, uh, before medical school, I actually – taught at that school for a little bit, and he was in one of my classes that I taught. I taught SAT prep, wow. and he was there. Yeah, so I know the kid. Interesting. What, what's he like as a, as a young man? Uh, i got to be honest. I mean, I don't think anyone from DePaul Catholic is listening to this podcast, but those kids uh, had no interest in learning. So uh, that's, I'm just going to leave it at that. He's not exactly an ace in the classroom. Hopefully he's better on the football field. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Nate, is there anything else you want to touch on with Ohio State's recruit? I mean, do you want to talk about the, I guess, like, signing day at large or any other classes? I feel like I don't know how much our, our listeners are going to be interested in that, like, outside of Ohio State. There's no other – I mean, we could talk about the 2020 class. I don't I don't know. What, what do you think we should go from here? Yeah, actually, just real quick, it, it doesn't have to be anything extensive. Um, 
did want to touch on 2020, Mike. For for those of you who are panicking a little bit, saying, "Oh no, this wasn't a very good class." Um, just just sit back and relax. So far in the, the class of 2020, um, the Buckeyes have signed or have hard commits from Paris Johnson, who is uh, who's the the sixth overall prospect in the nation. Um, Jack Miller, who's one of the top quarterbacks out of Arizona as well. And then if you actually go to the 24-7 uh, top, you know, recruits overall, Ohio State is in contention and favored for the number one recruit. Uh, they've locked down the number six, the number 14, the number 15. Uh, let's see here. The number 26, the number 30 number 35 to number 38. So lots of high-end high end guys, um, and a couple of those are offensive linemen. One is a guard out of Michigan, and, and one is a, a tackle out of Ohio. So um, I, I think we're sitting in a good spot, and it's going to be fun to see what Ryan Day can do, you know, in his first full recruiting cycle as a head coach. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think we locked down Paris Johnson. Uh, it, was, it was about six months ago, but – so, yeah, our top two recruits, Paris Johnson next year, and Luke Weipler are both offensive linemen, which are huge. And then, as you said, Jack Miller. But I think the thing to point out about Jack Miller, he's a pro-style quarterback. So, he, you know, I don't know when he'd actually see the field because, in theory, Justin, Justin Fields will be our quarterback for the next two years. But down the road, Jack Miller is the Ryan Day type of quarterback. He's six foot four. He's a pocket passer. He's a lot like Dwayne Haskins. So who knows? Maybe Jack Miller will be able to sit under Justin Fields for a year and then take over. And that's exactly what Ryan Day wants. And Nate, I do want to say one thing that kind of concerns me. Uh, I am worried that we weren't able to get a quarterback. I, I guess there really weren't there, there weren't too many quarterbacks out there on National Signing Day because a lot of them committed beforehand. But just for the sake of depth, it scares me that going into the season, we have three healthy quarterbacks. And it's basically two and a half healthy quarterbacks because Matthew Baldwin's coming off of an ACL injury. So we don't really know totally what to expect of them. Chris Chuganov is a, is a grad transfer who has not really proven anything, and obviously Justin Fields. So, Nate, are you as worried as I am about the quarterback room being empty and barren? Yeah, we're certainly not Clemson, Mike, who uh... – yeah. So before Trevor Lawrence, who is, you know, a top two overall prospect, signed Hunter Johnson, who was the number one pocket passer in that class. And I'm actually looking ahead to the 2020 class, and the number one quarterback prospect is considered a commit to Clemson. So, of course. Um, yeah, I, it, it is concerning. And it thinks that we lost to Juan Mathis there. Um, he was a recruit out of Michigan who was a late flip at early signing day to to Georgia, believe it or not. And so I think the Justin Fields signing we needed certainly, but at the same time it did hurt a little bit because guys like Don Mathis, Dewan Mathis said, thanks but no thanks, I'm going elsewhere. I would look for the Buckeyes to get another grad transfer, though, uh, in this in this cycle and hope that they can find maybe, you know, a guy who's who's in the MAC or maybe even an FCS school and sign him that, you know, can be competent if called upon. You know, I think of Vernon, Vernon Adams for Oregon a few years ago, came from Eastern Washington, Oregon. Something in that mold, I would look for, for something like that. 
Yeah, it'd be good to have just as a backup. I guess it's hard to really pitch guys to come when you when they know they're going to be the third or fourth string quarterback. Uh, but hey, you know, Ohio State's a great school. I just, Columbus is a great place to live. So sell them on that. You know, get your grad degree here. There's plenty of master's programs to consider. I don't know. Right. Maybe or or just call Aaron Kraft. He still has one year of football eligibility. He can come and play. Hey, I'm about that. Get get him on the center. Yeah, why not? But Nate, let's uh, let's flip over to the to the hardwood. Ohio State has a, I would say, a pretty big game tonight, and as big of a game against an eight and fourteen team can be. But Ohio State sits at fourteen and seven. Uh, it's been there have been good times. There's been ups and downs, and I guess we're kind of on the way back up this season. Um, it's been a while since we checked in last, but currently Joe and already has us as a ten seed, so we would be in the tournament if the season ended today. But these next two games against Penn State and Indiana, and I guess even after that to Illinois, we have to win two out of these next three games. I think I, I would go a step further, Mike, and say we have to go into Michigan State in in uh, that's a week from Sunday at seventeen and seven, and so that's that's three wins in a row here against Penn State, Indiana, and Illinois. I think those are all must-win games. Indiana's been reeling. Penn State only has one win in conference. Illinois only has a couple. Um, so I think those are considered must-win games uh, for the Buckeyes. Well, for what it's worth, uh, the ESPN like matchup predictor has us as, as an eight, above an 80% chance to beat Penn State and Illinois at home, but only a 40% chance to beat Indiana on the road. So I agree with you. I think in a perfect world, um, we would, you know, go 3-0, and but if we win, I, I think more importantly, we have to make sure we win the games that we're supposed to win, you know, because if you look at our, our track record and that little five-game skid against Michigan State, Rutgers, Iowa, Maryland, and Purdue, like losing the Maryland and Rutgers, or losing the Maryland and Michigan State, not the end of the world, right? Those are two really good teams, but the, re- the ones that really kill you are losing on the road to Rutgers and home to Purdue. You know, those are the ones you, you really can't get back and could be the difference of getting in and, and, you know, being on the other side of the bubble when, when the time comes. Yeah, let me ask you this, Mike. We, we play five ranked teams still to go um, at Maryland, at Purdue, at Michigan State, home with home with Iowa and home with Wisconsin. Can this team go 5-5 five and five to end the season and still make the NCAA tournament? Ooh, uh, 19, yeah, I think they could because 19-12 is a, is a record that usually gets you in. Like, and Assuming they would win one game in the Big Ten tournament, gets them to 20 wins. I would say if you're in a big conference with a lot of ranked teams, I think 20 wins is kind of the mark that you really want to hit. I mean, there have been times when the Big East, back when the Big East used to get, like, 15 teams in, uh, you know, Syracuse would be getting in, like, 16 and 13. So we do have some good out-of-conference wins. We did win at Cincinnati, at Creighton. So, uh, you know, that wouldn't be the end of the world. But it's going to be tough. We have a really rough schedule. And Kyle Young's been hurt, uh, so we've had to go a little bit smaller as a result. Uh, You know, what's the name? uh, Jaden Ledee? Jaden Ledee? Yeah. Is this first yeah. I think, yeah. So he, he's had to step up and play a little bit more. Uh, I gotta be honest, Nate, I, like, I know we're running the offense through Caleb Wesson, but sometimes I feel like our offense is right out of the 1960s. Like, some teams are just shooting us to death with three pointers, and we're trying to work the ball through the post like it's, uh, you know, we're in the 1985 Georgetown Hoyas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you hit the, the, 
nail on the head, Mike. I think this team needs to finish the season, the regular season, 20 and 11. So I think that's winning six of the final 10 here. So that an upset win is going to be required. And, and on top of that, winning games are supposed to win is going to be required. Um, I feel like, you know, you're sitting at 20 and 11. And that way, even if you lose your first game of the Big Ten tournament, you're still sitting at 20 and 12. And that feels like, and that feels like a, an 8, 9, 10, maybe an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. So, um, would Mike, would you rather be a, a play-in team, you know, playing in that first four as an 11 or 12, maybe 13 seed, or would you rather go and win NIT? Uh, I'd rather be – I think being one of the play-in teams is actually really cool. Ohio State has never had the luxury to do that. And honestly, I can't care less about the NIT. I think it's stupid. But those playing games, like, you're still part of the NCAA tournament, you know? And the spotlight's on you for a night specifically. And a lot of those times, those playing teams are able to carry that initial momentum and win the next game as an 11 seed or as a 12 seed. And that, VCU was, people forget, VCU and George Mason both made the Final Four as an 11 seed, but VCU was a playing game, you know, so they won one more game than George Mason did to get to that point. Uh, so, you know, who knows how, whether that can catapult us with, with some good momentum. I would rather be there because I think it's more important for Chris Holtman to just make the tournament and keep, keep that streak going. You know, we, we just gotta keep the positive momentum going. This is a rebuilding year, and if we can make the tournament in a rebuilding year, I think that should be our main focus. I'm in, uh, I'm in complete agreement with you, Mike. Getting the NCAA tournament, that is, that is momentum you can ride in, into the next season. Um, so we're you know we're gonna see what happens. We're gonna see what happens. I, I'm excited for for what the the game tonight on ESPN and we're on CBS on Sunday. Haven't been on TV at least major networks a lot. It's gonna be so exciting to see how this team responds. Yeah, it's been a lot of seven o'clock Big Ten Network uh, games against <laughs> Rutgers. I, our basketball team is not exactly the highest profile right now. But Nate, who, who out of all the players on the team do you, has impressed you the most uh, going into the season? And I'll ask you a follow-up. Who have you – who has been left you hanging? Who who did you expect more from that hasn't exactly delivered to their full potential? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Mike. I think the guy that has delivered most for me is, is Luther Muhammad. Um, but just been very impressed with this young man. Uh, he's missed one game due to injury. It was quick to get back. Every single night, he is going to give you his absolute best, especially on the defensive end. He is going to work and work on that end of the floor. And then I think he's also really developing as, a, as an offensive player. He's up to almost 10 points per game, shooting 45% from three uh, and about 45% overall from the field. So I've been very impressed with him. I think the guy that, that's left me hanging – most is C.J. Jackson. Um, I just feel like there hasn't been hasn't been a ton of development, and, and what this team's missing right now is quality guard play. And and we just we don't have quality guard play. Last year he averaged twelve point six points per game, and this year he's at twelve point nine. You know he's he's shooting two one hundred percent better, at, you know from the three point line, and and so. I, there's just something left to be desired there. Uh, 
I agree with that. I was actually going to say both of those, so I'll, I'll mix it up a little bit. Um, the thing, I guess I'll just say quickly, CJ Jackson, the thing that has disappointed me the most is that he has been really, like, if you just look at his stats in a vacuum of 13 points, four rebounds, four assists, uh, one steal from a guard, and he's shooting, you know, 39% from three, that's really good. And that is good. But the problem is that he's kind of been a little bit of a, a stat sheet stuffer in those bad games. Like, his best games have come against the Cleveland States of the world. But when he's gone against really good opposing guards, whether it be, like, Purdue or Michigan State, I feel like he's definitely turned the ball over more. And he's averaging over two turnovers a game, which for a point guard is really not that good. So he's disappointed me in the bigger games. I would say that I'm most impressed with Caleb Wesson. Look, he was great last year as a true freshman, but the thing that I love to see is that he has added something else to his game. He was not a three-point shooter last year, and now he's shooting 40% from three. He's averaging almost one main three-point basket per game, which is huge because if you're playing against a team, they have to guard him from out there, right? And if you're playing against a team that has a seven-foot big guy, last year when we lost to Gonzaga, it was because Rui Hachimura was killing us, and Rui Hachimura was killing us in the paint on defense. If Caleb Wesson had a three-pointer, three-point shot at that point, Hachimura would have had to gone out to the three-point line and guard him. So Wesson adding that I think is huge. And I guess the other guy who's kind of let me down a little bit is Keyshawn Woods, similar to C.J. Jackson. Like I think if you just look at his stats, seven points, three rebounds, three assists off the bench, that's pretty good. But he has also not shown up. I think he has three games where he hasn't even scored a point or something like that. So in the in the bigger games, he's kind of been a little bit more under the radar. But he's also had other games where he stepped up. So. I don't want to really beat on him too much, but yeah, I'm going to go with Wesson and and then Woods from the guy who was kind of underwhelmed me a little bit. Mike, you know who you know who CJ Jackson reminds me of? Jamal Crawford. He, yeah, he was yeah. the best as a a bench a backup point guard bench guy who loves putting up shots. You can kind of lead that second second group. That's true. I really, we are kind of being critical for him, but it's not his fault that this team is really lacking a true starting point guard. And I guess that'll change next year when CJ Walker's eligible and we have like other recruits coming in. But he's, I guess he's doing a pretty good job as a point guard considering he's like playing really out of position because he is definitely a two by nature. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mike, I got, I've got a few questions um, from our listeners. You want to dig into those? Let's do it. All right. First one here comes to comes from James. He wants to know what are your guys' way too early final four picks. Oh man, um, I feel like at this point it's really hard to go with anyone besides Duke. Uh, I was going to say Kansas, but they've really fallen out of favor. Michigan State too. I think that they lost their last three games. I'm going to say Duke, Tennessee. Michigan, even though they lost recently, I think they're going to get their crap together. And this one, I'm going to go a little bit off the reservation here. I'm going to say Louisville. I really like their defense. Again, they haven't played that well recently, but they're in a really good conference, and I, I like their coaching. Um, who, who is, and also this guy, Ryan McMahon, their guard, really good. White kid, he can drain. Okay, okay. Uh, I've got a few similar ones to you, Mike. Duke, I think, yeah, that that is a good basketball team. Zion Williamson, um, you know, I don't think I've ever – I'm not going to say that I like him because it's in my blood that I'm not allowed to like Duke players, but I don't think I've enjoyed a Duke player as much as him 
in my life. So I'm going to say Duke uh, for sure. I think Tennessee is there as well. I think Kentucky gets there. So two SEC schools. And then, hey, Mike, this is this is going to be the sleeper. Um, and I, I'm riding a Shabazz, Napier, Campbell Walker at performance. I'm going to pick the Marquette Golden Eagle. Ooh, Marcus Howard. Who gets routinely gets 40-plus, even 50 a night. Um, he is he's that guard that Ohio State needs that, you know, could could carry a team through five or six games. So I'm going to say Marquette, Duke, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Also, that would be an incredible – if it was Marquette, Duke, in the Final Four, that would be an incredible story because Steve Wojciechowski, I can never say his name, uh, used to play for Coach K, right? So you have True. him going against his former coach. You have Marcus Howard riding that Kemba Walker story against Zion Williams. That would be uh, that would be really good. And then on the other side of the Final Four, you have two SEC schools with Kentucky and Tennessee. So if your Final Four happens, I think that would probably make for the best storyline. And man, that if if Tennessee and Kentucky did play in the Final Four, that that would very likely be their fourth meeting of the year after two times, you know, in the regular season, and then likely in the SEC championship games. That would be. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, second question here comes from Aaron. He asks, if we're, if Ohio State is to make the tournament and even make a run, who has to step up and what do they need to change about their game? Ooh, uh, that is a, Nate, I'm going to let you answer that one first because I want to ruminate about this one. Okay. Uh, I, I think it comes down to the guy I mentioned earlier, Luther Muhammad. I think Luther Muhammad has to become even more of an offensive threat. I think through these last 10 to 12 games of the regular season, there's no reason he shouldn't be averaging 15 to 16 points per game um, and really just allowing the offense to kind of run through him. I think to me that that is the guy that needs to step up. He just, in, in essence, he needs to have more of a a killer mentality. Like this is my team. I'm going to lead this team, um, and I'm going to go go get buckets. Essentially, I'm going to go with Andre Wesson, brother of Caleb Wesson, Woo! and Andre Wesson, similar to CJ Jackson, has kind of been forced in the role of playing out of position. I think in a perfect world, Andre Wesson is like a small forward that comes off the bench, but because of Kyle Young's injury and because we're a pretty undersized team in general, he's had to be a starting power forward, right? And he is going to be always going up against. He's going to always be guarding the other team's four. And as a result, I think he, if he plays at his maximum, again, he's been kind of sort of been a, con- a contributing player for Ohio State the last two years, but he hasn't really been able to make that jump to be a super reliable scorer and a super reliable reliable defender. I think he fouls a little bit too much, and he can't guard players in the post as much. But if we can all of a sudden get a Herculean effort from Andre Wesson, and, you know, he, he does something more other than just foul and, and chuck threes and becomes a contributing player, then I think we're actually cooking with gas. Because then we'll have Caleb Wesson, Luther Muhammad, and Andre Wesson scoring. We'll have two good front court defenders that'll take some take a load off Caleb Wesson defensively so he doesn't get in foul trouble, and then I think we'll get everything rolling. And, again, this is all based on, like, Ken, with Kyle Young out, right? Kyle Young, he had a fractured foot. Uh, he's not going to be playing. I don't know what – actually, I didn't look as far as when he's going to be coming back. I don't think he's coming back tonight, though. I think he's ruled out for at least 
tonight. So if Kyle Young doesn't come back soon, I'm going to say Andre Weston really needs to step up, especially when we're playing those tough games against Purdue, Michigan State, and Wisconsin. I love it, Mike. I love it. Last question here comes from Justin. He says, last week parts of Ohio touched as low as negative 40 degrees, which is true. Uh, there's a polar vortex. Mike, you didn't get to experience that, uh, but it's very cold here in Ohio. And so he, he just simply has a would-you-rather. You know we love would-you-rathers. Um, and so he asked, would you rather spend 12 straight hours outside in negative 40-degree weather or spend a week straight in 120-plus degree weather with no air conditioning? Uh, wait, option one is how long in the negative? 12 hours outside in, in the negative 40. You know what? You're probably going to die. Like, if that's the case. <laughs> there was that guy in Iowa, and I don't want to make jokes of this, but I think he was just going to the store to get eggs, and he, like, froze to death. So, uh, <laughs> I, I think just for my own safety, like, even if you're really bundled up, if you spend 12 hours, you're probably going to become hypothermic. So, I'll take 120 degrees. You can cool yourself off by going in the ocean. Uh, you can, you know, wave some palm fronds to cool yourself off like they do on Survivor. I'm going to take the heat, baby. And, and that's coming from someone who, who lives in Florida and isn't super thrilled with how hot it is all the time. Yeah. This is tough. I, I'm such a baby about this. I like to be comfortable. Um, you also hate the cold, bro. One of my biggest pet peeves, Mike, is when it's too hot and you're unable to sleep because you're just sweating. Um, That's true. I, I struggle with that, but I think I'm with you. I hate the cold so much. Um, I would just, you know, by by night three, you'd be so tired you'd sleep anyways. And so I think I'm with you. I think I'd take the hot hot weather, the 120 degrees, you know, over... I can't imagine how slow 12 hours in negative 40-degree weather would go. Yeah, imagine uh, – think about how cold it was, like, jumping into Mirror Lake and then and then running home when it was, like, 30 degrees. And, and granted, we you know, we had shorts on and it, it was – and we were wet, but still, that was – imagine another 70 degrees lower than that. Like, I can't even imagine it. Right, right, yeah, exactly, exactly. So – I don't know. That's what that's what I'm gonna go with, Mike. That's that's actually all the questions we have. I like them though. I'll keep keep submitting the would you rather's. They're fun. Yeah, anything we'll take it. Uh, at Nuts for Bucks Pod on Twitter, tweet any questions that you have. Please rate and review us on iTunes. And Nate, we're getting into the nitty gritty of the off season. I mean, we're still gonna have some basketball to talk about. Hopefully, uh, good news. Hopefully, we do beat Penn State and we can come back next week or the week after with some good basketball news. But I think we're almost getting to the point where we got to start doing our schedule breakdown, our offensive depth chart, defensive depth chart. So, I, I, you know, that's really fun. I like when we get into that because that's the real meat and potatoes of the offseason. I love it. The meat and potatoes is right. Nate, is there anything else you want to say to the listeners uh, before we depart and send them on their merry way with some hang-on, Sloopy? I just want to give one shout-out. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, uh, first Ohio State basketball all-star since 2004 Michael Red. congrats to him he's having a heck of a season in Brooklyn it's been fun to see a guy who people called a locker room cancer uh, because of his his relationship there with Nick Young his forever his rookie year become quite the the player and the leader even that he is for the for the Nets so shout out to him what a season 